What's up, guys? Welcome back. We're here with part two with Dr. Hiwan Shu. And uh, we have a great episode ahead of us with this part two segment. So, Jill, take away. Okay, Dr. Chu, uh, how has life been post residency for you? So, um, uh, you, you know, I had three jobs in three years, basically. That's how my life has been in post residency. <laughs> but it's been a kind of a good experience each time and I don't regret the way it happened and that's uh, you know I work with a lot of residents who have fears of going to residency and I always tell them you know I just share them within my experience and say hey your first job isn't going to be your last most of my classmates I talk to now have already left their first jobs as well and it's just the nature of the beast you know your first job is whatever you can get uh, and People that are in practice are taking a gamble on you as a fresh grad, as well as you are on them or as, you know, them being your boss. So kind of have to think about it like that. You know, your skills have not been tested. Your experience is, uh, you know, whatever it is in residency um, where you have a safety net the whole entire time. If shit goes wrong, it's not your fault. It's your attending's fault as a resident or a student. But now once you're out, everything's on you. It's your right. license. Um, it's also your practice's reputation. If you screw things up and have bad outcomes, you know, your mm -hmm. partners will suffer too. So they're, mm -hmm. they're also gambling on you. And that's kind of a, you know, I think a way that people don't think about it, but it's absolutely real. Um, so you have to think about it like that. So um, uh, for me, it just so happens that you know, I left my first job because I wasn't busy enough. I, I got busy with my second job at the VA. While at the VA, I was super happy with that. I was getting all my numbers. Um, the interesting thing about New Mexico, though, and this kind of segues into how I got my third job, uh, is that there's only one foot and ankle orthopedist in the state of New Mexico. And that doctor is at the university who teaches orthopedic residents. That doctor um, can't see everything. So podiatrists are doing all that pylons, ankles, everything, you know, all the heavy reconstruction, total ankles, uh, you name it, is done by podiatrists in the state of New Mexico. We have good scope of practice. We have soft tissue up to the hip and bone up to the tibia tuberosity. Mm -hmm. So if you want to do tibial lengthening with X-Fix, go for it. You can in this state. Mm -hmm. um, I'm probably never going to do that. It's too much, too much work. But <laughs> yeah. Um, so that kind of, so, so knowing that, um, uh, the podiatrists here have good scope of practice. So they all want to do their bunions, hammer toes, fractures, things like that. Um, orthopedic type work. And there's basically no one that was focusing on them salvage, uh, or is doing it like well and like really handling it. So there was a, there's a group of podiatrists in town who have a good reputation for the work that they do that haven't hired anybody in like eight years. And, but they've been looking for someone to do limb salvage because, you know, they they do some of it too, but, um, you know, like I said, no one was really focused on doing it and they, they see a big need for it in the community and they just want to provide the best care for their patients. So they want to have someone they can count on or someone that they can refer to. Um, and they, um, these guys were trained by, uh, in the SF Kaiser Bay area program, like the, the third or fourth year that it started. And they have, uh, you 
I've, I've heard of great things about these guys. They do a lot of cool things. They do clubfoot treatment of babies, and they're basically the only group in New Mexico that does clubfoot. Okay. Um, uh, they were looking for someone to do them salvage, and they didn't know me at the time, even though I would go to some of the grand round meetings that's in their um, uh, clinic as part of uh, attending of the program. Uh, but I never answered anything. I just sat there to, you know, kind of absorb their knowledge because they do some cool stuff. Um, the main guy, his name is Dr. Haas. He had a classmate whose name is Dr. Mullins. Uh, Dr. Mullins is uh, a podiatrist that went to, uh, that practices in Palo Alto, and he was one of the attendants that trained me when I was a resident. And they just got together one day because they hang out every now and then. They chatted about, you know, life and stuff. And Zach was looking, or Dr. Haas was like, you know, I need someone to do this. And Dr. Mullins knew that I went to New Mexico, so he put in a real good word for me. And then that got Zach, uh, Dr. Haas interested. He started asking around, I guess. And all of a sudden, he texts me and say, hey, like, can you chat with us for a bit? And I go in, and they basically offered me a job. They didn't know me in person. I, I, never, I didn't know them in person. But they just hear of what I've done. And um, I had a good referral. So they offered me a job, basically, while I was still happy with the VA, wow. okay. um, which was really cool. And that took me by surprise. So I... You know, I had to talk to my wife about it, think about it for a few few months, and eventually um, I decided to take it. So I've been in private practice for almost a year now, and they, you know, the, the cool thing is uh, because they were, uh, they already knew my background and what I was able to do. They were able to give me a very fair contract with a um, uh, eventual path to partnership. That's what they want is a partner. They don't want an associate, someone to just do stuff for them. They want someone that they can uh, rely on to send patients to, to do things that they can't or don't want to do. Um, but that's where, that's how I kind of got into a private practice, even though I never saw myself doing private practice. Cause like you hear about all the stories of like private practice is dying in podiatry and we're all joining multi-specialty groups and things right. like that. But that's not in every, uh, you know, maybe that's more the case in big cities, but who knows? I, but as far as I know, I'm probably going to be in private practice for the rest of my life because it's it's freedom, really. Yeah. I have full control over my schedule. At the VA, if I want to cancel clinic for a uh, doctor appointment or something, I'll have to email, like, the chief of staff and, like, a whole bunch of other people, count how many patients I have to cancel and why, like, I'm impacting their health because of this thing that I have to do. If I want vacation, I got to do it, like, also 45 days in advance at least. Yeah. Um, right. Whereas in private practice, I just text my office manager, hey, I, I need this time off because of so-and-so reason. They just take care of it. Yeah. 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 You're, 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 your, you're your own boss. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So before Jill goes into one of the fun topics that we're going to talk about today, um, I wanted to ask you one question before we transition into that. I know you mentioned that New Mexico is a poor state and, you know, tell us a little bit about um, what the, the podiatry presence is in the state of New Mexico. And I know most of these bigger states, bigger cities obviously have saturated areas where there's a lot of podiatry clinics and podiatry residencies and everything like that. And it's not the same out in New Mexico. So tell us a little bit about how that has helped you be able to reach out to even more of a population down there because if there is or if there isn't a saturation of podiatrists down there. 
Uh, how do I reach out? What do you mean? So in the sense, um, in New Mexico, is it a, are there a lot of podiatry clinics or are, is there like far and few to oh, find? Like how do I advertise myself? And yeah, that like and that. like how, um, because it's a more low socioeconomic area and in New Mexico in general, how are you able to reach out to them? How do you uh, get word out and how, how is it different as opposed to if you were in like SFO working in a bigger city and things like that? Yeah, um, it's not too much different, actually. I mean, people still use Facebook or they use the newspaper. And so um, just like two months ago, I convinced my uh, colleagues to put out a newspaper ad. And, you know, my population is more of the older patient population that I'm targeting for diabetic uh, foot wounds and things like that. And I know that they read the newspaper. So yeah. <laughs> um, we put out an ad and I, I got a little bit more. And just like today, I you know I like to ask my patients first thing when I introduce myself to them, it's like, hey, yeah, how did, how'd you hear about us? And they'll tell me their story. And that gives me a little bit of data to think about if our advertisements are working or not. So just today, I already had two patients from the newspaper. Mm-hmm. And uh, we kind of calculated it that if you... Um, the price of the newspaper ad will pay for itself if you book two surgeries from it. And for the whole month, you know, we're, it, it's pretty easy to do. So, um, mm-hmm. and the other thing is Facebook advertising is great for the elder population. So mm-hmm. eventually I'm going to put out a testimonial, um, of like a patient's ulcer that healed or something and, uh, just kind of target that audience. Um, but like up to this point, I haven't had to do any advertising because all I had to do was take a ton of call. Yeah, that's what I do is limb salvage and my patients are in the hospital. So um, I kind of set my schedule in a way that worked for me, which is not nine to two thirty for most days, like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, except Wednesday is just the morning. And then I just take a, as much call as I possibly can. Um, so one time I was taking a call for two hospitals and they're getting pissed at me because I'm like, well, I can't start unless I'm done with this case here. And they had to hold their staff for like two hours until I can get my butt down there. And But, you know, they, they just yelled at me, but they can't do anything about it because I'm, I'm just busting my ass. Yeah. But, you know, I that I eventually I stopped doing that because that would have burned me out. So I kind of keep it at, you know, it's kind of trial and error. You do. You just try things out and figure out what works. And for me, being on call for every three weeks has been very manageable. So that's how I'm kind of on call for a third of the year. For sure. Yeah, Jill, take over. Um, Yeah, can you uh, shed some light on the work-life balance as a practicing podiatrist? Yeah. well, in private practice, that's kind of easy to do because, you know, you eat what you kill. You can be as busy as you want to be. Um, right. And um, if you hustle, there's a lot of things you can do to be successful in private practice. Um, that I mean, that, that might take the conversation to a whole other, like, topic. Uh, but if you're in, like, a situation where you're working for Kaiser, you know, which is a big... Uh, healthcare organization in California where they already have a ton of patients in their database and the PCPs just click a button and sends it to the podiatry department and you are the podiatry department. You don't need to do any advertising. You're already in a system that has a ton of patients. So, you know, as in Kaiser, you just see the patients in your schedule and that's it. You know, you don't need to put word out or anything. Same with the VA, you know, the veterans are there to see 
a podiatrist. They're not there to see specifically you. So in a way, it's great for new docs to be in those systems uh, where you just get flooded with patients to see and you get a, pay, a salary um, to do that, um, which is great for experience and getting your feet wet, you know, first coming out. Um, so, those, yeah, so that's kind of what happened to me, you know, it, minus the fact that I wasn't busy at the university, but I went to the VA and got really busy and got a ton of experience there. Eventually, when I got into private practice, um, I still didn't do any marketing whatsoever because I just took a ton of call. You know, it was easy to take call because um, the main hospitals uh, that gives us a call schedule that require us to take call also gives us a ton of patients when you're on call because they're so busy. So no one wants to take call. I just text people and say, hey, can I take your call for this week? And almost all, like 90% of the time they'll say yes. So I can easily just pick up another call week if I wanted to. So that's what I did when I first started private practice. I took as much call as I possibly can until I figured out what what is too much and I had to back down right. from that. Um, and then my work my work kind of spoke for itself. You know, like we we send we, we do our surgeries, we send it to you send them home, and home health is taking care of it, or a sniff is taking care of it, and the nurses will see the wounds and they'll be managing it. And I've even had referrals from a home health nurse who was managing a wound for another podiatrist who the patient was frustrated. It's not healing. And the nurse was like, hey, you should go see this guy. And then she just like up and left him and went to clinic and wound up in my clinic. Um, so it's it's kind of it, I didn't even think about it from that point of view where like um, these home health nurses are kind of like, you know, they see your work as a limb savage podiatrist and they can put in good words for you too. Mm -hmm. right. um, okay. So a fun question that I have is what is your favorite surgery and could you describe the surgery a little bit for um, all our listeners? Oh, uh, well, that's easily an open transmetatarsal amputation. Um, okay. And it's because it's, it's the most, well, it's also the highest paid, uh, amputation, but that's the side, besides the point. But I feel like um, it's highest paid because insurance companies know that it works. Mm -hmm. uh, show part, you get paid less than TMA, interestingly, but that's also because like TMAs tend to hold up better than show parts, and they probably figured that out in the calculations of the reimbursement. But um, yeah, for me, the open TMA is the most powerful. It's the one I use most commonly for when like there's like toes one, three, four missing, and the second is infected or something. You and at that point, just cut them all off, give them a nice even stump. Or if there's gas gangrene going up the arch or the dorsal foot to the leg, and you don't know exactly where the infection is, just book them for an open TMA and IND, and you can see everything. You can visualize where the infection is going, take care of everything, and and close it later. Um, and for me, the I like. The way I do it, I preserve the periosteum of the metatarsals, and I use a McLamory after I do the transection with the with the sagittal saw to kind of integrate it underneath to free up the periosteum under the metatarsal. Hmm. What that does is it it kind of gives you a nice French cut rack of lamb. So I always hand off a, a, a rack of lamb to the scrub text after I'm done with the open TMA. It's just it's just a little dumb thing that i do but it, it leaves a lot of pep. It, it, it just looks like a french cut lamb which is pretty hilarious but not really yeah uh, <laughs> the other, other thing is that it leaves a lot of periosteum that I can use for closure you can always debris more if you need to but um 
one of the things about transmetatarsal amps is something called heterotopic ossification, which is where the bone, when it's broken, it tries to find its missing end and it grows bone to do that. That can cause ulceration in a small percentage of patients. So um, you, the way to stop that from happening is you cap it somehow and subcute tissue over metatarsal stumps don't do it. So I found that um, met, uh, closing stumps of periosteum is a little bit helpful to prevent heterotopic ossification formation. For sure. um, and I think just the way I do it that way, it leaves a ton of tissue. Anyways, I'll probably have to put out a video or something <laughs> to show that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know we know that you're uh, active on social media. On, uh, I know you mentioned that, you know, through your advertising for your clinic, you, you do it through newspaper, which is something I've never heard of before, which is very unique. And, you know, it's, it's very different, but it's, it reaches out to the population you work with. And you're also active on Facebook and you're also active on Instagram. So those of you listeners who are listening, Make sure you follow Dr. Chu on Instagram. Um, he he posts different things about podiatry. Those of you who are interested, who are going through Some clinicals. very cool cases. Yeah, yeah. very cool <laughs> cases. So take a look. I know he mentioned the transmetatarsal amputation. I'm sure he'll probably have information up there. And like he said, he's going to put up a video. So we'll be looking forward <laughs> to that eventually pretty soon here. And uh, thank you, Dr. Chu, for joining us uh, today and giving us your insight into the field of podiatry, why you chose podiatry your journey through school, your journey through residency, and now working as a, a private practice attending. And hopefully in the future, I know you mentioned earlier, you found your now wife uh, during school. Hopefully we can get her on here as well too, and maybe you guys can do a couples episode together. I know we didn't really get a time to touch on uh, your life uh, partner being someone who's also in podiatry. Um, and I know you mentioned to us offset that if you're telling her you're closing a toe, she knows when to start dinner for you. So, um, so she has, <laughs> yeah, exactly. she, she knows exactly what to do and you guys work, probably work on the same wavelength. So that's pretty cool. I've never seen that before and it's uh, awesome. And hopefully in the future we can hear that perspective as well too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, for sure. I'd be happy to. Yeah. yeah. I have to convince her to do it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm well, sure she will. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much again um, for all the insight that you shed, uh, shed about podiatry. And we learned a lot, too. And I'm, I'm a growing fourth year looking to go into residency. And it's something that, you know, I want to keep an eye out for everything that you mentioned. And I'm sure Jill is the same going through school. It's something always to keep in mind what the future, uh, what the future outlook is for Looks both like, of us. Yeah, yeah. For us. Sure. yeah. So whenever you feel like you want to come back on and share your knowledge with mm -hmm. us, please do so. Uh, if there's anything else that you want to share with the listeners, any piece of advice that you want to give them before we wrap up this episode, uh now is the time yeah <laughs> sure yeah uh i just want to kind of plug in a project that i've been working on with my partners here um we're working on filming all of my partner's surgeries okay. so that includes like canvas reconstruction flat foot reconstruction anything ankle fusion total ankles club foot surgery um, and we're thinking of putting it together in like an online course kind of thing. And we're calling it Foot and Ankle Surgery Academy. Okay. There's no website for it right now, but we're just working on building it kind of as a business and um, creating videos with online voiceovers and things like that. Uh, and the goal is to provide supplementary education to kind of, uh, you know, everyone's suffering during COVID and we get yeah. it. And we just want the best for our future generation of foot and ankle surgeons and podiatrists. So um, we think it's going to be something that will be really helpful. We've, have a, we've had a lot of good feedback from our current residents and 
Um, we're not ready to share it yet, but if you follow us on Instagram, I'll be able to keep you guys updated on when that's up and coming. Yeah, so sure. there's no website or anything yet, but we'll slowly start leaking things onto the Instagram page and start advertising once things are up and running. Definitely. So I just want, I'm excited to just share that with you guys. Yeah, we appreciate what you guys are doing, especially during times, during these trying times when we're not able to see everything that we would ideally like to see as students and uh, as future residents. You know, it's uh, you guys are the ones who are kind of taking over and uh, playing that middleman for all of us and really making a difference. So thank you. We'll, we'll be looking forward to seeing all those videos eventually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sounds good. Appreciate sure. it. Yeah. No problem. Anything you want to say, Jill, before we wrap up the episode? No, I'd also just like to thank you for coming on today and sharing all the information you, you had for us. So. Yeah. 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 yeah no problem. It's been a pleasure. It's a lot of fun. You guys are great hosts. It's easy <laughs> to talk to you guys. Definitely. Thank you. Thank, thank you for the compliment. Yeah, yeah, so thank you listeners for tuning in. Hope you guys enjoyed segment two and segment one. Um, hope you took away something from these uh, episodes and hope you you know, check out these videos that Dr. Chiu and his colleagues will have eventually soon as well too, something that will educate you. Those of you who might not be in podiatry, you can take a look and see what kind of surgeries that we do as podiatrists, as well as those who are also already in podiatry school. It'll be something that's educational for you and beneficial for you so that you know what to expect when you go into your clinical uh, stage of school and everything like that so thank you guys hope you enjoy the rest of your day we're looking forward to getting more attendings on here we're so glad that we were able to get our first one on and it's uh it's the start of something new for us so hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode and we'll have future episodes and if you guys ever have any questions or any thoughts or ideas that you want to have talked about on this podcast uh, especially by attendings uh, please let us know dm us on instagram at soul purpose 20 we'll make sure to make that happen and, you know, just like always, uh, raise awareness, tell others about this podcast, and we'll be here doing our thing. So thank you guys for the love and support. We'll talk to you soon. See ya.